Thompson Guitars makes handcrafted instruments in Oregon. Their guitars are built with select tone woods, including Brazilian rosewood. Go to pktguitars.com for more information about their different models and appointments available from their custom shop. Hi, I'm Tom Power, and this is Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. Hi, welcome to the second episode of Toy Heart for this season. If you missed our big season opener with the great Sam Bush, you can find that wherever you got uh, this one, I guess. It's probably pretty easy. Wherever you click this one, should be... Should be right below it. I'm coming to you from my home in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, where I'm spending a week with my family. It's very cool to be doing this podcast while I'm here. This is the place, of course, where I grew up. So like it's the place where I fell in love with bluegrass and fell in love with like stories about bluegrass by spending time with the the OG, the goat bluegrass storyteller, Neil Rosenberg. So it's very cool to be here. Uh, <laughs> it's the first time anyone's ever used the OG or the goat when it comes to bluegrass storytelling, but I mean it. Uh, so it's nice to be here. Thanks for all the kind comments on the show. If you're not already subscribed, feel free to do so. If you have a bluegrass fan in your life, feel free to pass this on. And uh, if you want to leave a review or a rating on iTunes or on Spotify, it, it really helps. I was thinking about this a lot about how to introduce uh, today's interview. And I think I'm going to say something kind of controversial. But I think when you start getting into bluegrass, there's usually one entry point. For me, it was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For other people, it was Deliverance. For you, depending on your age, it might be Alison Krauss or, or Billy Strings. And then what happens? You start getting into the older stuff, Flatt and Scruggs, Bill Monroe and the Stanley Brothers. And then your tastes start to develop and you start to verge off a little bit. If you're a bit more experimental, you might start getting into the Punch Brothers or New Grass Revival. If you're a little more traditional, you listen to Lonesome River Band or the Poe Ramblin' Boys. It's like the weed whiskey fork in the road. But this is where I get a bit controversial. I feel like as you get deeper in the music, like as you get into what makes the music really great and you're looking for something that makes you feel the way you felt when you first heard Bluegrass, you eventually end up at Larry Sparks. Larry Sparks is a member of the Bluegrass Hall of Fame, and he well deserves to be in there. He's been at it just about six decades. He's always done his career sort of the traditional way. In fact, you know, I've told some of my punk and hardcore friends that Larry Sparks makes the most DIY punk artist look like a sellout. Larry Sparks books his own tours, owns one guitar, puts together a new band every few years, tours and sells merch off the stage. And he is also someone who prioritizes the heart and soul of the music above all else. And we spend a lot of time talking about that. Listen, Larry is busy. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. There haven't been a lot of opportunities for this legend of bluegrass to tell his story, but he is truly a legend. In fact, the way, and you're going to hear this later this season, the way I convinced Alison Krauss to come on Toy Heart is by telling her that I loved Larry Sparks. And I think she understands that when you love Larry Sparks, you understand the heart and soul of this music. Anyway, Larry joined me over Zoom. This was sort of deep pandemic. We couldn't get together in real life, but I was happy to get some time with a legend of bluegrass. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Toy Heart. Here's my conversation with Larry Sparks. Well, it's a great joy to get to talk to Larry Sparks. I've been looking forward to you a long time. How are you? Doing fine, Tom. Good to be with you. Glad to talk to you. 
It's a pleasure to have you. I've been a great fan of yours for a long time. We all have here, and I'm, I'm so glad we were able to work. Well, I did the math on myself, and I've been I've been in it a long time. So. <laughs> how, how long? How long has it been? It's about sixty years now. Uh, this year is fifty nine years. And next year will be sixty. It must be hard to believe. I can't believe it. Something's wrong with the math or something on that. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you're from it's Lebanon, right? Lebanon. I was born in Lebanon, Ohio. Yeah, my mother and daddy were from Kentucky and part of the family. And uh, they came across into Indiana when they first left Kentucky, you know, for work back in the late twenties and third nineteen thirties, and, and uh, headed north like a lot of people did out of Kentucky for work, you know, across the river and. Uh, more settled over in southern Ohio than southern Indiana. As the work, I guess, was better, you know, back in them days, and there was there was more work. What what yeah, what line of work were they in? Uh, my dad was a farmer. He worked in farm whatever he could pick up, you know. And he was he was a really a hard worker. And then later years, he went in driving a truck for a factory. Then he worked in a factory for years. Yeah, he always working, doing something, you know. What was his name? No, Charles Sparks. Charlie Sparks. And what, how about your mother? Oh, her name was Eva, Eva Russell Sparks. Yeah, her, she was a Russell. What was she like? My mother was, well, neither one had a good education, you know, back in them days. And uh, they wasn't up on everything, like, you know, the, the education as far as reading and writing and all that stuff. So they didn't, didn't know a lot, you know. And back in them days, the turn of the century, uh, my dad was born in 1902. Mother was born in 1906. So, you know, up in a few years after that, they used, they lived in the mountains there and they didn't get a real good, real good education, you know, but uh, they were workers. Then people thought of working first. That's what they did first was working and providing. That was two things they did. That was very important. Was music something they did? Because I, I know it was your grandfather was a great old time fiddler. What, what side of the family was that on? He was my mother's dad. Yeah. And uh, he, he was a very good fiddler, very, very good in his day. Uh, he played on key. He played, he pulled tone. He knew he had a good touch. I mean, he was just really good. But he wouldn't go out and uh, and do, you know, really anything with it as far as making uh, his name known, his playing, his talent. He's just more of a round home player, you know, porch player. So uh, I, I guess I'm trying to piece together when the music starts coming in, into the life. So your grandfather is playing. I know you didn't ha you didn't have a record player from what I understand. You were... No, we didn't have anything. No. Oh, but just a radio. All we had. Uh, no, uh, we didn't have a big troller one time. The crank, the old crank big troller. We didn't have one of them. And I got one of those today in my home. You got a big troller in the house? Oh, yeah. I've got tons of 78s, you know. And I like to listen to that stuff and go back and... And listen to how it really sounded to people back in them days, you know. I mean, you were listening to a lot of different music back then, from what I understand. Like, you were listening to, there was blues being played on the radio. There was all kinds yeah. of music being played. Like, you weren't just listening to country music or bluegrass music. Well, the Grand Ole Opry was on the weekends and always was drawn to that uh, because I liked what I heard on the Opry. And it was the old traditional music, you know, and I, I just, I, I liked it. And then there was a station in Cincinnati that I listened to every evening. They come on at 7.30. Wayne Rainey was one of the hosts there for years. And before that, there was some other folks did that. In the afternoon, Middletown, Ohio was uh, Paul Mullins. Before that was two or three other guys in the afternoons, you know. So there's several stations, you know, that played, played the music. 
and I'm just drawn to it, I guess. I, I haven't even tuned my guitar yet. <laughs> so when did, when did that start? When did you start picking up the guitar? Because the other, your, your other members of your family were playing too, play a bit of guitar, right? Yeah, they could all play a little bit and sing, and some of them could have done something with it. My sister Bernice could have. She was a very good singer. And we sit on the side of the bed, and she showed me chords to the guitar when I was like six years old. And uh, I'll blame it all on her. <laughs> Do you remember one of the first songs you played? Like, would you would you have a recollection of of an early song you would have learned? I think we it was a gospel what we sang in church some back in them days, you know. And I would have been like six years old. I caught on with the chords real quick, you know, real quick. Just caught the chords. I can't. It's uh, gospel songs like maybe we might have did. Uh, there ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. An old song called called Eli did that. There ain't no grave. I think Johnny Cash recorded one time too, years ago. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. He probably made dollars when the others made pennies. <laughs> When I guess at the time, you know, when I look back at that era, there just wasn't much lead guitar being played. No, I mean, there was I guess there was Don Reno doing a little bit of it. George Shuffler doing a little bit of it. I mean, right. uh, Earl would play a little bit with mm -hmm. play the guitar, but yep. that was mainly finger style. Were you playing? Like, when did the lead guitar start? Were you were you doing that early too? Well, I started trying to play the guitar when when I was you know like six seven years old. But as I got older, I got with guys that played you know in the local area, and that that helps you know learning and stuff. But there wasn't like you say that many there was that many guitar players. Uh, Earl Scruggs was a great one, and. Uh, and uh, Don Reno was a fine player, and George Shuffler and Bill Napier, those four kind of stood out, you know, in this music uh, that I can remember. Uh, Bill Napier was the one who started uh, the flat top playing with the Stanley Brothers. Over in the glory land. He was the first one to do that, but he had a different way of playing. He rolled these strings, pick, you know, and so. And George Shepherd came along, and he did good too. Were you sort of bitten by the bug here? Like, did you, is, a lot of folks tell me the story of like, you know, the first time they heard Bill Monroe or the first time they heard the Stanley Brothers or something like mm -hmm. that. Something sort of awakened in them. Did that happen to you? I think it did. 
I went into a, a restaurant after school, 13, 14 years old, and we knew everything. <laughs> but uh, I went in this restaurant, and the rock and roll was big. You know, and the time I was in there, Elvis came in and come in, and he took over everything just about. But um, I like some of the rock and roll music back in them days. I, I like I like uh, a lot of it, you know. Some of it's real good. But I went in this restaurant, all, all the cool kids was in there and stuff, sitting around and doing this and that. And something just led me over to the jukebox. And, man, I put that in there. I looked, I mean, I looked at the jukebox. I seen Bill Monroe's name there. And I played his music, and everybody started looking at me like, what is he playing? First Whipper Wheel was the name of that song on the jukebox, Bill Monroe. I think Jimmy Martin was singing with me. Springtime is near, my darling. You say that you are going away. My heart will be with you, my darling. And I'm counting out the days. Yeah, it was a good cut. I just, I liked it, you know. I liked it. Were you singing around then? Did you go home then and pick up the guitar and start singing those songs? I tried to. <laughs> <laughs> but the music called, I just, I don't know, it's just the acoustic sound and the pure, real sound. It just caught to me. You know, I just, it just, and I like the, you know, I'm nothing against the, the more electric sound, the steel guitars and all that. That's fine. It's good for what they did. But uh, I like just the acoustic uh, music sound, uh, instruments rather. Yeah. And then, and so your sister, she marries a man at Troy, right? Troy Neely was that? Troy Neely. Yeah. And he played and sang too, you know, bluegrass. And then there's another guy that, uh, Taylor Gilbert, he was a banjo player and Taylor was, uh, he took me with him a lot. He was a good guy and he's, he's, uh, passed away now, but, uh, I just thought a lot of him. I really did. I went to his house a lot and we run around together and played places, you know, what kind of gigs were you doing with Troy? Where were you playing? Well, we played wherever we could play. We did a lot of churches. Uh, we played, uh, I think, some filling stations, <laughs> anywhere we could get, you know. And Taylor, we, let's see, we played uh, in Kentucky and went to a drive-in theater there. And uh, used to, you play on top of the concession stand at theaters, you know, drive-in theaters. And uh, that was a big thing. We went out about, oh, I think in the late, late 60s, the theaters outside but stuff like that started going away. So there's not uh, any of that really going on now. A lot of the entertainers use those drive-in theaters, country and rock, rock and roll and bluegrass. Uh, Stanley Brothers used them, and Ralph Stanley used a lot of those. Man, we worked through Virginia, uh, Kentucky, and West Virginia. It was big through there, you know, that kind of music on the drive-in theaters. And they'd have a they'd have a sound system for you. They'd have a microphone there on the top of the of the drive-through theater. Yeah, they had, uh, everything was set up and to go through the car speakers. And if they like it, they blow their horn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If they if they didn't like it, they put it in reverse. They put it in reverse. <laughs> Get a refund. <laughs> so so I'm following along here now. So then um, is it is it Irvin McIntosh you end up playing mm-hmm. with for a while? You play mandolin and guitar. Is that right? We play together too. Yeah. Irvin was a pretty good local musician, singer, and we played in uh, nightclubs and stuff, you know, and uh, back in those days, Irvin was, Irvin was uh, good to, to be around. Yeah. And, and I know like the, the mindset was different. Like I know there was, it was working, but do you have a moment where you go, oh, I think this is going to be my life. I think I'm going to play this music for the rest of my life. This is going to be my, what I do. Yeah. I wanted to do that. And I had a question on it. 
whether I could or not, whether I had enough talent to to do it. And as I grew older, why I improved, I guess, with my my talent that God has gave me. So I was about, well, I think 17 or so when I went with the Stanley Brothers. They heard about my guitar playing and wanted me to help them out on the show. And I did. And uh, then they wanted me to go to Chicago with them to play at the University of Chicago. And they recorded that, and it's out on a CD now, that show is. Yeah. Yeah. That was 1965. We moved here from somewhere when I was 14. Worked as poor grounders to bake it Landlord just told me hard times and dark Didn't mean a thing. That, that happens because of the Irvin gig, right? It was through Irvin that you meet Moon Mullins, is that right? And he, he uh, no, yep. Moon Mullins came to the radio station uh-huh. in Middletown, Ohio, in the early early sixties, two or three, four around there, and uh, he made a pretty good name for himself on WPFB. Now, when I was with Irvin playing at nightclub there, a little bar, Paul, of course, he he was a bluegrass man, you know, and he heard about us playing there. And he come in to the show there, and that's where I met him. So Paul knew the Stanley brothers, Carter and Ralph. Then a guy in Dayton, Jack Lynch, had a little recording studio, I mean, recording company he came up with. And uh, Ralph did a couple albums for Jack. My Jack was a friend of Carter's, and Ralph too. And when they would come to Ohio, Carter would go to Jack's house. That's where he stayed. And then I'd go up and visit too, you know, Dayton. In Dayton, Ohio. So the Stanley Brothers, I guess I, I met them through, actually through Paul Mullins, Moon Mullins, and uh, Jack Lynch. They told them, that, oh, you ought to hear this guy play play the guitar. He's, he can play your music. You know, I guess he told him that or something. But Man, it must have been so exciting to be listening to, because at that time, there was like three bluegrass bands. There was like, three, you know, there was, I mean, there were more than that. There was a Lonesome Pine Fiddlers. There was a yeah. lot of people, but the real big ones were like Bill Monroe, the Stanley Brothers, and Platten Scruggs. And yeah. you get to play. Yeah. You're a kid too. Look at yeah, that. That's right. Kid. Yeah. I have my license. Got my driver's license, you know, and uh, I'll drive up, sit around with Carter there at Jack Lynch's house. Jack worked at NCR, National Cash Register in Dayton. Yeah. And uh, he had a recording uh, label there that uh, was doing pretty good with it, really. He could, he could have done a lot, much better than what, uh, what he did. It didn't happen, but he, he did okay for a while. But it was him and uh, Paul Mullins who introduced my name to the Stanley Brothers. It must have been so exciting for you to get to play with the Stanley Brothers. It really was, because I heard their music a lot on WCKY in Cincinnati. And Wayne Rainey was played their music a lot. And it became, I don't know, it just it just touched me. And it was it was what it was me. It, it was just me, you know. What they did was 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 me. As we went along, that when they wanted me to come and, and do a show with him. I, I was surprised, you know, that they would ask me to, but so I was really glad too. I was proud to do it. What were those shows? What was that show like at the university of Chicago? It must've been so different than playing the top of concession stands and stuff like that. It must've felt. Yeah, like- I, it was, uh, well, it was a big crowd as I can remember in 1965 university of Chicago and the course where Carter and Ralph was pretty popular you know, back, back in those days recorded for King records and King was a big label in Cincinnati. They uh, had Carter and Ralph put on a good show, and I was with them. 
I played the lead guitar for them. And they, I took breaks on the guitar and I heard a noise. I didn't know what it was. So I, I looked, I listened again and looked out. Everybody was applauding my break. You know, I, took, I said, well, this might be all right. <laughs> you know, the, the thing about Carter, especially, I mean, Carter and Ralph, I, I got to see Ralph, thankfully. I flew down from Canada one time just because I knew Ralph was playing and I wanted to see yeah. him. But Carter to me, they're, they're almost sort of like mythical figures to me because, you know, Carter was gone so long before he came around. So like, and I don't often get to ask this question to people. Like, what was he like? What was Carter like as a man? Like, what was he like as a fella? Well, you'll learn a lot from Carter when he didn't say anything. It's how they do. How they, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of odd, but uh, Carter was a good guy. He really was. And uh, he's a very humble hearted person. And, uh, and to me, he was. And he was a good singer, a uh, very good singer. Bill Monroe made the uh, comment that Carter was the most best natural singer he had ever been with him, you know. And Bill's had good singers too, but uh, Carter, he said, was Carter was the most natural singer that he that he'd had. And and I believe that, you know, Carter Carter was just uh, he was real, you know. He, he's singing and he, uh, he vision what he's sung, uh, and you have to do that. And some songs, you got a vision of what you sing. To tell me more about that, you got a vision of what you sing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, if you got some songs, not like that, but some are. It's you got a story song, and and, and vision it, vision all this, the whole song, and sing it with from my heart and soul and feeling. Like say, uh, for instance, I did last day at Gettysburg. The gray smoke from the battle. Rolling over the hill The fires, the dead, the dying Are in my memory ever still Oh, can't you hear Hear that angel band Sing and come home, soldier well, that's something that I just can't take off singing that with no feel and from my soul and heart and mind. I've got a vision of what I'm singing about. You know, vision those guys out there. You see, gray smoke rising. And you have to, you have to vision a lot of stuff when you sing. No, I do. And when I play the guitar, I play words. I don't play notes. I play words. T tell me more about that. You play words and not notes. Well, uh, the words on the guitar are just like singing. Uh, it's it's the same way. You just play words. Ralph Stanley said, I had a talking guitar. But he's probably right, you know, because I played words. And notes, you know, a lot of guitar players play a lot of notes, and that's fine. That's good if they want to do that. And it's their way of doing it. But uh, I just play the notes and try to play the words play the slurs, the backward slide, the forward slides, the pulls and all that and, and get into the words. I've been spending a lot of time getting ready for this interview and spending a lot of time being a great fan of yours and spending a lot of time talking about, I mean, again, no, no disrespect and, and people can do whatever they want, but you know, when yeah, you're true. Very flashy, you know, players and people who can uh -huh. do a lot of different things and people who can yeah. sit in a lot of high notes and all that, but your singing uh, has so much, always had so much depth and heart and and soul and it sounds like that that's been intentional from the very beginning 
Well, I got a slogan called keeping it real. And uh, that's what I try to do is keep it real. Sometimes it's a, uh, could be a little battle, but it's not so bad. We can fight the battle. But, you know, keeping it real is, is key, taking care of the music, taking care of the acoustic music. And uh, I have nothing against other music. I like different kinds of music. But what I do is what, what I was called to do. And the music, after a while, will, will become you. And you become the music. You become the song. The song becomes you. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's spiritual. Yeah. And that's that way with a lot of uh, singers, you know, that's in country music. They have become the songs they sing. You know, and the songs become them. They become the songs. Same way with what I do. And it has to be that way. You've got to get hold and become friends with the song. and Really get into it. Why did you leave the Stanley Brothers? Well, I got fired. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. <laughs> no, we left. left hey, what, did you, what did you do, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> I hit a hot leg and he didn't like it. No, uh, I felt, Tom, that I had something more to give myself and to give people. And I just felt that I had it. And that was in 1969. And I... Uh, I loved Ralph, and we left on good terms. And after I left, uh, the years ahead down the road, we, we were just as, probably better friends then than I was when I was working with him. You know, he always used me at his festival and and build up. Uh, I built up a good uh, relation with Ralph through the years, and his fans there to come to his uh, festival on the mountain. But uh, I, I thought that that I had more to offer, and and I could do more, and and I did. You certainly did. When did you find out that Carter had passed on? He passed away in 66, in December of 66, yeah. Mm -hmm. Were you on the road then? or Yes, I was doing something, playing somewhere. <laughs> yeah, But I, I couldn't make it. Jack, went, Jack Lynch went to the funeral, and I was tied up. I couldn't get away. I wanted to go, but and I had to work my shows, you know, and stuff, and try to keep my shows going. But I regret that I didn't just cancel and go. But... <laughs> You know, yeah. I should have, should have, because we got, we got a lot of should haves and could haves if I would have, you know, when you look back. I'm, I'm also interested in the, if you hadn't, like, if I only, I hadn't done this, then what yeah, would I hadn't? Yeah. Like well, I could have. Yeah. Why? Why did I, I had a, think about <laughs> you going to that tavern. Like, was it Tom's tavern in, in Dayton? Where Tom's tavern was in Dayton. Yeah. That's where, uh, Ralph came after Carter passed away. Yeah. And he passed away in 66. And Ralph Stanley, Curly Ray Klein, and Melvin Goins. That was the three that came out. Well, I had, uh, had worked with, you know, Melvin and Curly Ray before with Ralph there for quite some time. But um, uh, they came out to do that show. And Jack told me about it. I didn't know he was going to be there. Uh, Ralph was coming out February 7th, I believe it was, 1967, if I'm correct. So I said, yeah. He said, you better, you know, try to come over. I said, sure, I'll be there. I'd like, like to be there. And uh, I went and got up with Jack there. We went over to Tom's Tavern in Dayton. That's, I just went to listen. That's all. Just went to listen. So Roy Lee Sinners, some other, and Jack Lynch, and some others were the house band, you know, the open up stuff. And they were pretty good. So they asked me to come up and sing a, couple songs with them 
I've never sung any with with Ralph, you know, before this, you know, uh, I just I think sung a little harmony with him and Carter, very little, but I never did uh, really sing, you know, because Carter was a singer, so I didn't, didn't sing any. I just didn't do it. Anyway, they asked me to come up and sing a couple of songs, and I did. That's Ralph liked what I did and called me outside, said, meet me outside. I thought maybe you wanted to fight me or something, you know. Meet me outside. Or send me word. <laughs> Tell Larry to meet me outside. If I sung one of his songs, I thought, oh, maybe that's what it is, you know. Stone walls and steel bars. And I wonder how the old folks are at home. That's the two songs I sung. And he liked what it did, you know, like the feel I had, I guess, and the way I presented the song to people. And he wanted me to want me to sing with him. But asked me what I be interested in taking the job, singing the lead. I said, well, I don't know if I can do it. I, I, I can try and see how we do. I, so I did and stayed with him three more years. Uh, we did five albums together. We did. And I did one with Curly Ray Klein. Did that feel, Larry, because just, just to me hearing it, because at that point, Ralph's not Ralph like you is now you know like the stanley brothers as far as i understand it and, you, and you'd know way more than me this as far as i understand it the stanley brothers end I, I don't think there was any expectation that ralph would make a lot of people have told me they didn't expect ralph to keep going at all that yeah. you know, that's it was right. sort of carter's band that like carter was sort of the lead guy right and that ralph was you know he was great but he was singing harmony and he'd sing the odd song every now and then there was no expectation that ralph stanley would continue on and, and be great and then you are you're a kid like mm -hmm. Yes. And you got to step into the shoes. I think I was 18, maybe when I, that happened. I'm just guessing that it close, maybe 19. But yeah, Carter was the more the leader, you know, and did the picked out the what they did on stage. And Ralph was good at what he did. He sang, you know, the solo songs and everything. But uh, Carter was pretty much the the guy. And you had to step into that that role. That's not easy for a kid to do. No. I, wasn't, I, I didn't know how, how I could do it. You know, I just felt, well, this music is me. And I'm the music. I'm, I'm becoming the music. And it's, it's, it's in me. You know, and I just went ahead and it happened. It happened. No, I'm not never. Natural, just natural. I mean, if there's one word to describe your music, it's natural to me, Larry. That's that's it is, yeah, it's true. And that's that's the way it is. And it's just uh, nothing is rigged or fake or phony. Man, it's just real, you know, just real. What do you remember about touring those years? Tell me something. And again, I'd love to hear, just hear something about what it was like to tour during those days. You know? Yeah, we well, Ralph, he he was he stayed busy, and we traveled in a '67 station wagon car brand new he never did have a bus when i was with him never had a bus and the stanley brothers never had a bus never did and they traveled in cars i think uh carter passed away there was he had a almost new a big mercury car you know it's like the 465 that they traveled in a lot 
So with plenty of room, them cars were comfortable back in them days, you know. And Ralph had the 67 Pontiac when he started on his own in 67. Or I think, yeah, he had a 67 Pontiac. And me and him and uh, Curly Ray would get in there. And uh, Melvin, he he went with us a lot. But we went to California one time. He wouldn't go. He wouldn't do He didn't want to go to California. But uh, Jimmy, Ralph's wife, went, you know, her and Ralph and me and Curly Ray. And she wrote that song, Only Exist. She put the words to that down. On the way out there, she's working on some stuff, too. But uh, she, that's a pretty good song for Ralph. It was a good good number for him. I helped him record it. And did the uh, best I could do on it. It passed the test. So that, we rolled out there, and Ralph did. He was a very good car driver, you know. Super safe, make good time. I drove some. He, I, I helped him drive some. I was watching him, what he did, you know, he, how safe he was. And I've never had an accident in all my years. And it's a hard road sometimes. It's not an easy road out there. And you got to make it safe and protect yourself, protect who's with you in your vehicles. And and that comes first before anything. The last step you take is when you go on stage. That's the last step you take. You've got a lot to do before you uh, before you go on that stage. Many, many things to take care of. Many things. Was the decision to leave Ralph's band similar to the decision to leave the Stanley Brothers that you just, you had more to say? Was there, did you go to Ralph and, and resign? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I told him if he needed me to work, whatever I would, you know, until he got somebody. And I didn't leave him in a hole. Didn't leave him standing without somebody. I didn't do that. So we worked it out. And his next singer was Roy Lee Sinners. Yeah, and then I guess Ricky and Keith would have come around not too long after that. It was a while after that. Yeah, I'm not. I can't say for sure when it was, but it was was a while a while after that that they came along. And I'm not, not sure when it was. But yeah, it's it, you know it's really amazing. You know, like I just think about you know Ralph taking that on and going out without Carter and how you know how hard that must have been. I mean, yeah, it was. It would have been a big decision to make when he was. That was his life. You know, Ralph was probably he was in his forties then. That was his life up to that point. You know, that's what he did. So he just picked it up and was strong and went on and uh, he was going to do it either way, you know, carry on. And the Stanley brothers were very popular yeah. and, and, you know, back in their day, they uh, probably in the late fifties up to the, when Carter passed away was their most, more popular years, you know, the last 10 years Carter lived, but uh, they were okay before that too. But that was their most popular years. I think the last 10 years uh, that Carter was living. When you leave Ralph, you start your your own band, and I th- these are some of the records I really really love. I, I I have a great affection for these. Is the band right away when you start? Is is the Lonesome Ramblers right away? Is that what you call the band right away? Yeah, pretty quick. Oh yeah, yeah, it wasn't very long. It's uh, see sixty nine. Yeah, right right after that, I had uh, my sister played in the band. Bernice, David Cox was a mandolin player. Joe Isaacs was a banjo player. And we used just whoever you know, on bass didn't have really a regular bass player, just picked up whoever you know, was available to play bass. I called the Lonesome Ramblers right off pretty quick. Now, there was all kinds of mountain boys, you know, which yeah. is fine. There was all kinds of that. So I, I figured, well, that's great, you know, but I think I'm going to do something else. Uh, maybe maybe go with this Lonesome Rambler thing. And I, Ramblers, you're you going to ramble. You know, you're a rambler. You're a rambler when you go on the road. And uh, the music had a lonesome feel to it. You know, but it's a good lonesome. It's not a really a depressing lonesome. 
but it's a lonesome sound, you know, and I kind of put those together and lonesome ramblers and Larry Sparks, Larry L and L, Larry and Lonesome. Larry and Lonesome, you know, goes together. Larry Sparks and the Lonesome Ramblers. Or would it sound better? Larry Sparks and the Foggy Mountain Boys. Larry Sparks and the Clinch Mountain Boys. See, two L's. <laughs> it's smart. Smart, Larry. It's smart. Yeah, very smart. yeah that's what I say. It's pretty good. <laughs> I, tell you what I, I tell you what I love about this is that this whole, I mean, this whole story you're telling me here is amazing, but there'd be people who would do things like other people did. Who People who would say there's Foggy Mountain Boys and there's Clinch Mountain Boys. Well, I better call my something the, the something something boys. Yep. You know? But, you know, I know even, even right off the bat, I, I found an interview with you from, I think it was 78, maybe uh, the other day I was reading to get ready for this. And you talked about how when you left Ralph, one of the things you had to do was try to, and it took some trial and error, but you had to figure out your own sound. You had to figure out what you sounded like, unlike everybody. Very true. I love the Stanley Brothers and Flatten Scruggs and Bill Monroe and all that. And I respect those names. And uh, they cut the path for people like me. And uh, I, I knew that I had to come up with things. And so I started coming up with new material, new songs. And that was good. It added to what I wanted to do and gave me more of a style to come up with new songs. And, that, and that's what I did, different way of doing them. And it, it, that's what I had to do. I had to not try to sound like Bill Monroe, Stanley's, and Platt Scruggs. Those three names are, are embedded in me. But I had to not dwell on that, you know, come up with my own thing. Though I may stray In the fields that are barren where danger awaits me, I may go. The master will search until he finds me. He'll guide me back into the fold. I'm one of the sheep. He'll love and how much were you on the road in those early days? How many, how many days a year were you doing? A lot. Yeah. And, you know, I did it myself. I went to the people. Uh, there was some good agencies around and stuff. And I don't know. I, I went to radio stations. I went to organizations here and there across the country, even Canada. What about that? But I went to the people. What I'm hearing there, Larry, is not, I wanted to be a star. I wanted to be a country star. I'm hearing, I wanted to bring it to the people. That feels, that feels meaningful to me, what you're saying there, you know? Can I say something? Yeah. Okay, here I go. <laughs> I went into this music, not to be, I didn't think to be a star. And I didn't think to be famous. I really didn't. I didn't think, well, I want to be famous. This music was embedded in me. The older country music and bluegrass and I wanted to take that feel and my what I had to, to give and to offer to it and was hoping that it would, you know, people would accept what I do instead of looking at me as a star or me being famous. Well, that happened. You know, people started really liking what I did all across the country. And uh, it happened slowly. And I didn't change my what I was doing. I probably could have, you know, changed and went country. And I think I probably could have done something maybe in the country. but. I didn't do that, you know, going straight country music, which I liked it, but I didn't do that because my lights was burning. My lights was burning. What does that mean, my lights was burning? The table was set. I had a roof. I was doing good. My band was being paid as much as I could pay them. <laughs> my expenses on top, motels, 
when I got to a bus, it, it was working for me. I went for several years like that. And the more I went, the more work I got because I was making it work. You know, I, I made it work myself. Went to more people, more people, more people. I started working. I said, I'm going to go to these people. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And I, you know, I got on my phone. I called this one, called that one, did all my own booking, everything. And did all, all this stuff. Try to keep it as professional as I could, you know. And it started working better, better and better. And as I went to the people and gave what talent I have. And uh, I guess uh, early 80s, I went to Nashville, moved there for temporarily. There was country music was really hot then. And I stayed around there about a year or so. And uh, and that year or so, I was there. I was busy. Well, I met, you know, a few good people. I recorded at Starlight Studios there out on Dickerson Road. I did two albums there. First one was Ramblin' Bluegrass. Tribute to Hank. Well, Larry Sparks sings Hank Williams, what it's called. Someday you call my name and I won't answer. Someday you reach for me, I won't be there. For you've grown tired of But someday you wish that I still care. One of my favorite records. Thank you. I, I always liked Hank and uh, I like his feel. And that was just uh, something I wanted to do, not to. It's just uh, a dedication to him out of my heart, you know, for his, for his music. But I got looking around all the competition I'm having to go. I would have to go through, you know, to try to do something in Nashville and I thought of the Opry, maybe I could work with the Opry over there and do this and that. And so I tried a few things. That, nothing was falling the way it should fail, fall for me. So one day I said, well, I'm doing good. I'm making enough, doing well enough. All respect to Nashville and everything it has to offer. But I better get out of here because so, <laughs> it was so much competition, you know, to get into. Country music was big and that's what they were after. and That's what was selling. So, with all due respect to uh, the Nashville, I just left and kept on doing what I'm doing. And every year got better. Five years got better. Ten years got better. Now, almost 60 years. The old saying, I've done it my way. You've had, and and now look, Larry, I mean, we can talk about this in a second, but you've done it your way. You've done it without compromise. You've done it uh, by yourself. Here's one thing I want to acknowledge. That's not easy. That's a lot of hours of driving. That's a lot of hours of motels and that's a lot of hours of diners. And that's a lot of, and you're trying to pick up a band. You're trying to keep oh, yeah. a band and you hire a new, yeah. that's not, that's none of this <laughs> an easy road. You, know? <laughs> you got the right boy. It's, it's a lot involved. Like I say, the, the last step you take is when you go on stage, but I wanted to make things work myself. I wanted to make it work. I thought, well, you're going to have to work to make it work. And I did. My favorite, one of my favorite records of yours, if not my favorite is that, is it the new the new gospel songs record that one from seventy one? Right, that's a beautiful record, Larry. Yeah, it's good gospel songs. Uh, they say something. Your version of House of Gold on that is one of my favorite recordings of of all time. That's a thank you. Some people still they cheat and lie. 
for wealth and what it will buy. Don't they know on the judgment day that gold and silver will melt away? I'd rather be. I listened to that over and over again. That's really well. It will. It will touch you. It touched me. It touched my heart. It touched my soul. You know, and it worked out. It came. It came across very good. I think. And I wanted to call the album Ministry and Song. I presented that to Rebel to see if they would accept that title. And uh, he liked it pretty much right off And because there is a ministry in the song. Um, before I let you go, and, and you've been really generous, I, I, w- I thought we might go through some of the songs that have really meant a lot to a lot of people over the years. And you could tell us a little bit about either where you got them or where you came from. And and I, and I want to close off by doing that through the lens of like sort of the renaissance that's happening right now with some of your songs. And uh-huh. Can we talk about gospel music for a second? Can we talk about going to live in green pastures? Yeah, that song uh, first heard a group called the Chestnut Grove Quartet Yeah, in Virginia. They sung that. And they were good singers, you know, good old mountain singers, really good. And uh, Ralph recorded that yeah. song after that, and I sang with him on it. And when I had my own band, then I recorded it also. Then I went and recorded it again, I think on my 50 album, Larry Sparks 50, with the Judy Marshall and Alice Krauss yeah. sung with me on it. With the good shepherd leading the way How do you inhabit those songs then? If you're telling me that when you inhabit a song about heartbreak, you have to imagine yourself in the heartbreak. When you're telling me that you sing a song about Gettysburg, you have to inhabit and give voice to that feeling when you're in, you're, you're there on the battlefields. How do you do that in the lens of a gospel song? Okay. Uh, this is, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, gospel is, uh, is very important. It's, uh, it's, it's a music that uh, sing and songs that you can sing that song. Okay, you you can sing that song, but if you sing it with the spirit that God gives you, you're going to touch hearts and turn a few people. You don't know who it is and never will know who it is, probably, you know, and that, that's what it does sometimes to people and the anointing that God can give you. And he gives it to me. I've been a Christian many years yeah. and I'm not ashamed to, to say that. Yeah. And if you're not, that's that's up to you. And uh, you're still my friend, you know, but I mean, but I am. Is that how you avoid it? Because, I mean, Larry, I don't have to tell you, and we don't have to talk about this too much, but I don't have to tell you that there's no shortage of people who have played music alongside you either, not on stage, but just have, have come up in this bluegrass music and in this, this, old, this old time music that have drank and, and, and we, we lost them to drinking or we've lost them to, you know, to other things and, and, and uh, a bit of darkness in there. It's not unfamiliar in the history of this music. And you, you managed to avoid that too. Is that, is that through that? Very true. Uh, I looked around, uh, Tom, and, you, and seen what it can do to people. 
it's just no good. And I want to, I want to know where I was last night. You know, I want to know who I was last night and I want to keep my mind clear. I don't have to have a drink to sing a song. No, you know, <laughs> I don't have to be high to drink to sing a song. I want to sing natural from my heart, mind, and soul. You know, I don't, I don't need that to uplift me. I don't need that. Maybe a cup of coffee. That's about it. <laughs> that's not easy on the road. Lad. That's not easy after a life on the road. You know, there's no shortage. of. No, it's not easy at all. It's uh, you got to learn to take care of yourself and, and take care of your health. Mm-hmm. You know, I was raised on Greece. Lord, that's where, <laughs> that's, that's what I was raised to eat. You know, back in the old timers, that's where they cooked. And that was good eating. I still like fried food, chicken and cornbread and all the fried stuff. And, but I don't indulge heavy, heavy in it, you know, and, and just not do nothing. I want to stay active as I can at home and try to do this, try to do that, not just sit around and uh, do nothing. That's bad for you. That's not good to, to sit around and do nothing. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. You, just do something, you know. Larry, can you talk to me about John Deere Tractor? Sure can. And remember city In a half-acre field Trying to plow the furrow Where the soil is made of steel Oh, I wish I was home Where the bluegrass is grown And the sweet country girls Don't complain Talk to me. Um, I think that's my favorite song. Well, I've got, I still have the, uh, the tape on that. That's, I found, well, Lemco Studios in Lexington, Kentucky. Cecil Jones was the guy that owned the studio. And a good little studio. There's pretty, pretty good, pretty good uh, sound. He told me one day, he said, take this with you. I said, what? This reel to reel. Listen to it. And I took it. And got home and I had a real, real tape player and uh, John Deere tractor came up and there's two more songs on it. And I still have that reel to reel. I got to find that and play them other two songs. It wasn't John Deere tractor different. It wasn't, it wasn't the version you heard on the reel to reel a little different than the version you sing. They sing it fast. I see. I think I might've changed a few words in it. You know, this word or two here, just suit me better to sing it, you know, but I kept it, Pretty much the original, the way that it was, oh, that they did it. Two guys with playing guitars. That's all there was on it. And I have never met the guy that's supposed to actually pin the words down. I never have met him. He's never has come out to the public, nowhere. And I don't know who he is. <laughs> really? No, sir, I do not. He's, he's never come forward. And I don't know who it is. The record company, I don't know how they've dealt with it, but I don't know how they would deal with it. Because the guy has never come forward about, his, and I have met him. Maybe he's been out and and never came around and introduced himself. I don't know. But John Deere tractors, what uh, I heard that, and I thought, well, that could be something different to add to to bluegrass, you know, and keep it keep it with a bluegrassy feel and and uh, and stuff. And and I did that, and boy, it called on. I mean, it just it called on really good all across everywhere. I mean, you have. Someone like Billy Strings now performing that in, uh, you know, in stadiums and arenas full of. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like a John 
Deer tractor in a half acre field. I'm trying to plow furrow where the soil is made of steel. Oh, I wish I was home on where the bluegrass is growing and the sweet country girls. He, he uh, had, uh, I guess maybe I've influenced him in some way. I don't know. Maybe I have, and uh, uh, I hope so. But he's, uh, I heard he's doing pretty good in what he's doing. So and that he's been singing John Deere Tractor. I must have sent him a bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's meaningful to me. And I don't, I don't know if you can talk to this, but this is maybe something more for me. That you, you know, you're, you don't want to be a star. You're going to try to, to avoid the trappings of stardom. You're going to try and avoid the trappings of fame. You're going to try and avoid the temptations of fame and and all that kind of stuff. And just do your thing and look for the people. And now you have your songs being sung to all. The, I mean, you're, you're being appreciated. Alison Krauss calls you her favorite bluegrass singer. Um, you have people like Billy talking. You know, I can tell you, he's a major fan of yours. Mm-hmm. You have some of the biggest artists in the in the country. You know, really, really talking about your music. It feels like something changed. It feels like something's happening, you know? Yeah. I thought that uh, we was talking about, you know, being a star and famous. I thought too, along the way, I'll let the famous do its own work. I'll let the stardom do its own work. You know, if, if it, it becomes, if I become a star to people or if I become famous to people, then that's good. And, I, and that's what would be great if I can, but I didn't shoot for that and put it over the music, you know, put it over what I was doing. But uh, I just let it work its own way. I let it take its own steps. The, the famous part and the stardom, it take its own steps toward me. Come on, let's go. Come on, faster, faster. Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, so it took several years, you know, to, to gain that, to gain that. And like you say, there's a lot of hard work in this music, especially when you do it yourself, like I have done. What's the biggest difference from when you were playing bluegrass in the early days with the Stanleys, that touring life and that kind of life versus doing it now? Yeah. Well, there's not a whole lot of difference, really. I try to keep pattern after that path. And uh, there's a lot of paths now in bluegrass and, uh, and different music. And, but I, I try to keep my, myself on that old path and, uh, and take care of the music because I don't really have to change. What are you most proud of looking back at 60 years? What are you most proud of? I might say that I'm, I'm proud of my, you know, what I've been able to accomplish because it's been work, but I'm proud that I stayed with it and not straight off from it, you know, took care of it. This music needs to be taken care of. I guess that's, you know, a pretty important thing right there for me is to, that I have took care of it the best I can I have, could, you know, with what I've had to work with. I've took care of it on the path and it need, it needs that and it needs to be taken care of in the future. And just like country music, it needs to be taken care of. And there's the more country music fans, you know, they got modern country and that's fine. That's if they got modern country, that's good. If it works, it works. But uh, you'll be surprised at the fans out there that are country music and bluegrass fans, even though something else may pass it, you know, like the modern country it may make more famous at times, but uh, rock and roll, whatever. But you'll be surprised that this is this music is out there, and the people like it. I mean, it's got to get to them. You're not you're not going to stop anytime soon, too. I don't think, are you? 
it's meant for man to live 120 years. So if it's if I can, I got 45 more years, maybe more. You know, if it's if I can go over 120. No, I, I feel that uh, hopefully and pray that I can go on for for many years. I'm I'll be 75 years old this year, and uh, I don't feel it, not at all. I, I'm thank God I'm I'm healthy. I feel that I can go go many years if I you know can my health holds out and I will. I'll go right on. Well, I hope you do, Larry. Thanks so much for making the time for me today. It's a, it's a great honor to get the chances to spend some time with you. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it, and I do love Canada too. I want you to know I love Canada. Yeah, we love you too. All right, that's it. Um, thank you so much to. Larry Sparks, can I have to tell you this? I love that he got dressed up for the Zoom. He looked amazing. He sounds amazing. I've gone through so many of his songs over the past few months getting ready for this interview. And uh, I, I love I love all of them. I'm a diehard Larry Sparks fan. And I feel like I ignored him for way too long. And it was at my own detriment. So if you're a bluegrass fan who hasn't spent time with Larry Sparks, get into it. He's Billy Strings' favorite. I mean, that's that's got to mean something to you. Hey, uh, Larry Sparks has a new album. It's called It's Just Me. I also want to thank his worker, Evan Wilson, for his help getting Larry on Zoom and making all that happen. And thank you so much for listening. Toy Heart is produced by Stephanie Coleman and me, Tom Power. Our executive producer is Amy Reitenauer Jacobs with help, as always, from the entire BGS team. Creative director Shelby Williamson, editor Chris Jacobs, managing editor Justin Hiltner, and all of the writers and contributors that make BGS the best source for roots, culture, redefined. Discover more at thebluegrasssituation.com. Our theme song, Toy Heart, by Bill Monroe, was performed by Chris Eldridge and Kristen Andreasen. Uh, Chris's new band, Mighty Poplar, are very, very good. Stay tuned for more new episodes coming up this season with the likes of Lori Lewis and Allison Krauss. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, and so many more wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this show, share it with a friend who loves bluegrass music. Stay tuned for so much more coming up this season on Toy Heart. And if you like this show, share it with a friend who loves bluegrass music. All right, I'm Tom Power. Later on. Later on.